We've all heard the saying, learn to love the process. But why learn to love something? Why not create a process that is easy to love? Welcome to Peace with the Process, where I bring you professionals who specialize in the processes we incorporate to sustain consistent, healthy growth. I believe in learning from others' mistakes and successes. So I also bring on entrepreneurs who have been in the trenches and tell us how they got there and how they got out. I hope you find something in today's episode that you can apply to your own life and that you find your peace with the process along the way. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Peace with the Process. I am very excited to have you all back here on the episode today. And something that I've been leaning a bit toward is kind of broadening the the scope of the type of guests that we have here on the show, right? So if you could tell when we kind of got started on that we had several... How would you how would you classify? And I don't I don't want to put anybody in a box, but a lot of our guests were coaches or uh, what we would call thought professionals, people who really specialize in a different way of thinking, et cetera, et cetera. But we've also had several people on the show who come from just a kind of a random background or a random career choice. I think we've gone completely left completely right completely up or down whichever direction you want to call it we've gone a complete different direction with who we have on the show today i'm very excited with who we have on the show today because he doesn't fit into any any area that i would be interested in right off the bat and i actually pulled him up because when uh, when he when we when we originally got connected he explained to me a little bit of his story and i was and it's through through a messaging system so i i, I look into the story and the story is what initially caught my attention and the cause that he has and that he's promoting and that he has developed uh, such a great cause i know i'm being a little elusive but it, it's it's not intentional i got connected with the story and i think that's important to identify on this podcast it does not necessarily matter what your background is what particular career you are currently in or what particular it doesn't even have to be a career whatever your hobby or whatever your current story is it doesn't really matter the details are not necessarily well, the details do matter. Let me take that back. It's the fact that you don't have to fit into a box to be on the show. We want people of all different backgrounds because what does that do? It opens us up to a wide array of perspectives. It opens us up to experience through the art of storytelling and listening to these stories from all of our guests on the show. It opens us up to receive different strategies, different mindsets, different perspectives on the journey to becoming a better and more developed person, the journey to growing who we are. Because I genuinely believe every single guest that we've had on this show, it sparked from a desire to be somebody better tomorrow 
than who they were in that moment when they first got started. They said, I want to be a better person, so I'm going to go after this, or I'm going to make this change, or this choice, or this decision, or start going down this path that maybe will lead me down this path, etc., etc. So these journeys are amazing, and I'm hoping that I'm throwing you guys curveballs every now and then. I don't ever want you to get to where you can predict the type of people that we're going to have on this show, because I think there's just a lot of value behind having all of these different perspectives and different stories, different pathways, so that we can learn from the successes and the failures from their lives and hopefully take that, apply something to our own lives. So speaking of taking some of the principles and the successes and failures and uh, mentalities and mindsets from these episodes, make sure you're checking out our Process Perspective episode. That is the first Tuesday episode of every month that I do. That's just me rambling on. Not really. I'm actually going to do some intentional time going over the episodes from the previous month and pulling out some of those mindsets, successes, failures, principles, um, you know, practices that we can start putting into our process or our daily play or to give us a thought to think on. And I'll, I'll zero in on those because we don't always get a chance to do that in each episode. Uh, like in today's episode, <laughs> there's just there's a bunch of different mindsets. There's a bunch of different uh, concepts, practical uh, practices <laughs> that we can look at from our episode today. So before we get into it, of course, as always, I want to thank every one of you who have written a review for the show. That means that you have taken time out of your day to thoughtfully put together words to describe how you feel about the show. And I'm extremely honored to see that not a one bad word has been said about our show. That is amazing. I, I could think of 30 right now just off the top of my head. Uh, but you have taken the time to think about some good things to say about the show. And I'm honored and blessed to have you as a uh, listener uh, and, and a follower. If you follow us on our social media platforms, that's Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I might hop back on Twitter. I kind of hopped on and off of that for a little bit, but I might hop back on Twitter. Uh, you can also check me out on Snapchat. I'll have to put my handle in the emails, which reminds me, the emails, if you want to get insider's access to Everything that we talk about on today's show or don't talk about, now that includes your tools, resources, gifts, promos, whatever might be on there, as well as uh, all of our uh, guests, links, and things like that, the tools and resources. So with that, you get that email to your inbox the moment that the episode goes live so you have all that information before anybody else so if there is any type of contest that we do where it's time-based you will be one of the first ones to find out about that contest and have the opportunity to take whatever action required to get yourself entered so without any further dialing into all the external all the uh, tools resources and things like that let's go ahead and get into today's episode this one was genuinely i don't even know how to explain it let's listen to it maybe i'll have a better word for you at the end of the show <laughs> let's go all right i got johnny crowder on the call with us today man it's great to have you on how are you doing i am being lulled by your buttery smooth voice <laughs> i i very rarely i do lots of interviews and very rarely do i meet someone whose voice sounds like 20 years older than they look. <laughs> like, are you my age? 
Uh, I'm 26. I just turned 26 okay. in January. You're younger than me. Wow. wow. I I just wish listeners. So listeners, I'm two and a half years older than this gentleman here, and he looks my age and sounds like my dad. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's great, man. Well, I probably act my. I probably act how I sound. I get called an old man all the time. I'm in bed. I'm in bed by eight p.m. Wow. Uh, up by four a.m. That whole the whole spiel. So no, I definitely get the old soul uh, comment a lot. I love it. Yeah. But you, you have, now you have a voice that doesn't quite match what I expected. I'll be honest. You have a very, uh, very soft uh, and tender voice. Uh, whereas you actually do, uh, you're in a, a metal band. And that was, uh, I've heard, I've listened to some of your music. I actually found myself not a genre that I have delved into. I have friends who did, was never my thing, but I listened to a few of your songs and I found myself sitting here, you know, kind of swinging my head back and forth Heck and I, yeah. could, I could get into it, man. It's really cool. Yeah. Metal. It's always funny when we're on tour, um, kids will say at the merch table, they're like, whoa, I didn't know that your voice would sound like this off stage. And I think, well, can you imagine like if I spoke like I sang to regular people in regular conversation, I'd be in prison. Or, well, my band is called prison, so I didn't mean to do that. But I mean, you'd get in a lot of trouble if you went around like you walk in the grocery store and you're like screaming at everybody. Yeah, yeah. No, I could imagine. I'm sure there's some YouTube parody video that somebody's done of what that would look like. And if they haven't, you should. You should do that. That would be hilarious. I'll add it to my to-do list. There you go. Well, so... So tell me how, uh, tell me the start of this journey, because one of the big things we're going to talk about uh, is what you've done through Coke Notes. And I'll let you kind of dive into more detail about what that is, uh, you know, through telling your story and how you got all the way uh, to found Coke Notes. Yeah, I'm surprised that I get to work in mental health, but I'm not surprised that I wound up working in mental health, Mm. if that makes sense. So like, if you knew my whole story, you'd be like, well, of course, what the heck else were you going to do? But (laughs) if you were to go back in time and talk to my younger self, I would say there's no way I'll ever be healthy enough to do that. So Mm. quick, brief overview. And this, this part is always hard because it's like, Hey, can you summarize a quarter century in, in 30 seconds? Mm. Um, But essentially just so people have all the major plot points, I grew up in an abusive home around drugs and alcohol. I um, was self-harming and hallucinating as a toddler all the way through elementary, middle, high school, into college. Um, I am a suicide survivor. I'm very happy about that. I, um, I started treatment in high school and I didn't actually start mentally and emotionally participating in treatment until way after that. So I spent like the first four or five years convinced that I didn't have a problem and like fighting against it, railing against it. And then I went to UCF for psychology and realized, uh uh-oh, like as you start learning about abnormal psych, you're like, dang, I really, I guess I really do have this stuff. So then I started actually participating in my recovery. And um, after that, I started doing peer support through NAMI, Um, and then leading peer support groups and then training clinicians on how to speak to people like me, like patients. Um, And then eventually started doing more and more peer support, public advocacy, speaking at events. And then I started something called Not a Therapist, which was a peer support platform. And now I created Cope Notes. That was about three years ago and change. So as a kid, if you would have told me, you know, you're going to be working in mental health, I'd say, how? 
Mm. There's no way that I'll be able to get my crap in a row. That doesn't even make sense, but you know <laughs> what I'm saying? There's no right. way I'll be able to get organized enough or healthy enough to actually contribute to other people who are dealing with this. But the whole time, even though I'd, I wasn't sure that I'd be able to do it, I knew that I wanted to. Mm. No, I like that. I like that. And so what was the, uh, what was the moment that you decided you were going to be hands-on with it? Cause you went from, you know, experiencing it at a young age, I might add, cause you said that you didn't start getting treatment for it till high school. So this is something yeah. you dealt with through what tail end of elementary school and, and on into middle school as well. Even dude, I'm, I'm saying my parents had to watch me as a, as a kid, even before like preschool, because I would hurt myself. I would like wow. hit my head against walls and you know, if there was something around, I would break it and use it to hurt myself. And I don't know, like, I'm, I'm assuming this is like childhood trauma stuff and some, some genetic stuff going on, but there, I'll, I'll say this, there's never been for the first 25 years of my life, there was never a year that was just pretty much a normal average year. It mm. was like always something wild and traumatic and extreme. And, um, so it can be difficult to explain to people like, that, I think that's why my voice sounds so young and why my spirit sounds so young now. Cause I feel like I just got born when I was in my er early mid twenties and now I finally get to be a person. So right. I'm experiencing childhood now in my late twenties, whereas most people experience that in elementary school. Gotcha. Yeah. Now that definitely makes sense. Uh, so the decision to, so tell us what, what is it that you, that you learned specifically uh, when you were going through uh, through college and, and learning all these things about that you identified, okay, yes, these are the yes, these are the yes signs. This is this is the the determining factor. I don't know that there's like a really neat answer to that, like a tidy buttoned up answer. But I will say a few things that kind of rocked me was um, so when I was at UCF, I took an abnormal psychology class. And there were these sections around different diagnoses and everyone, as I was learning about it, I'm like, dang, I'm pretty sure my therapist was telling me about this like five years ago. And I totally just didn't listen at all. <laughs> and then, you know, I was like, I was experiencing symptoms, but then justifying them to myself. Like I would say, well, you know, for example, OCD was a very, very debilitating um, diagnosis for me for, for years. I wasn't touching other people. I wasn't touching uh, my food. I wasn't touching doorknobs or gas pumps or shopping carts. I couldn't step on cracks. I couldn't sit near windows. It was like, I can't even begin to tell you how many different things it prevented me from doing. Um, but the problem was when you turn on TV and you see a show like Monk, you're like, oh, well, he has OCD. Mm. He like has to wipe stuff off and fix paintings and stuff. I don't have OCD. I'm just very particular mm. or I'm just, I have my own way of doing things. So you, I was coming to justify that the way I was behaving was normal for me. Um, and then when you're sitting in a psychology class and learning about these diagnoses and all the different facets, you're like, wait, that wasn't in Monk. That's something that I do. And wait a second, that's not something that I've ever traditionally associated with OCD, but I do that all the time. So it was, I think I just needed like an objective source. Like the textbook didn't say, well, let's learn about Johnny and all the stuff he does. And then let's classify that a certain way. And that's what I thought my, my counselor, my therapist, my psychiatrist, that's what I thought all these treatment providers were doing was 
like attacking me and the way that I lived. But I was mm. like, this is just a, an objective textbook. Like mm. that doesn't know anything about me. And I was like, uh Oh, am I like really late in now having to participate in my treatment? <laughs> <laughs> I showed up late for sure. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah, no, no worries there. I think a lot of us do. Uh, it's not common. We uh, were able to identify uh, the things in our lives that need working on immediately. Typically, my experience personally, anything I've ever dealt with, I've sat in it for <laughs> way longer than necessary. I relate uh, to that so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I like the term sat in it too. Yeah. Like I know it's going to be kind of graphic, but you know, if you're sitting down and you pee your pants, it's like, how long, how long is the period where you say like, I'm not, I didn't pee my pants mm -hmm. yep. to the point where you're like, oh man, yeah, I need to get bad. up. I it's need not to that get bad. It was just a, it was just a dribble. Yeah, just a dri like, no, there's a puddle. No, dude, you're in a puddle. Don't, don't make this period of time any longer than it has to be. Like, just admit that you peed your pants, get up and do something about it. Don't just sit there. That's a very <laughs> funny and maybe not accurate analogy, but it's, it's a very interesting visual. Yeah, no, I could see it on a t-shirt. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell us, how did you, how did you get started with uh, not a therapist and, and what did that look like, uh, you know, while you were in the middle of it? So I was doing peer support. So I was touring at the time in my band. So I used to be in a band called Dark Sermon mm -hmm. and that we loved playing Texas. We always had, Texas loves death metal. Um, <laughs> so we loved playing there. But every time we would play a show, we'd like talk to kids after the show and inevitably, because our lyrics were, a lot of them were about mental health. So we'd have mental health conversations with kids after shows. And over time I was like, dang, you know, I'm in, you know, let's say I'm in Dallas for a day and then I leave, I'm in a new city every night. So right. I'm leaving and these people have no one to talk to. They have no, you know, they get to have that night and then nothing. So I was like, man, if I make a, if I make a virtual version of this, then people mm. can like book appointments and they'll be like just peer support. So, I mean, it's literally called not a therapist. I am not your therapist. Um, I'm just another person with lived experience who understands what you're going through. And maybe we can just talk about it. I was running that for a while, but um, the problem was I couldn't, you know, it's the darndest thing. I couldn't find anybody to work for me for free <laughs> because I, I was doing it all volunteer. So I was like 40, 50 hours a week volunteer. Plus I was working at an ad agency for like 50 plus hours a week at the ad agency. So I was like, breaking my back plus touring i was like literally gonna explode and i was just thinking there's no way like i can't you know it was free obviously so i'm like i'm not making any money from it mm -hmm. and then other people as soon as they find out i don't have money to pay them they don't want to help me so mm -hmm. i was just i actually came across the facebook memory of the video of myself announcing that not a therapist was closing and cope notes was opening mm -hmm. and in the video i basically say I'm so tired. I can't do it like this anymore. And I said, I said in the video, not a therapist is only a good idea if 50 or so people at a time think it's a good idea. And then past that, it's going to break. So I need to, instead of allowing it to continue breaking down, I need to just make something that scales better. Gotcha. No, I love it. Yeah. Cause I've looked into, I've looked into cope notes and that definitely sounds like a more uh, when you're talking about transitioning from something like not a therapist into what cope notes uh, is allows you to do, because it, in essence, it allows you to be all the people that you needed for uh, not a therapist. 
um, without, yeah. without having to tangibly, tangibly be there. That's amazing. So then, okay, let's go ahead and transition into, tell us a little bit about Cope Notes. You know, obviously we know sort of what sparked that a little bit, which was the pain point of not having uh, anyone to partner with you or volunteer with you for free on this. So uh, yeah. w- what was the rest of it? So Cope Notes, just so people know what we do, um, we provide daily mental health support via text message. So we send people texts at random times. So no two people ever get the same text at the same time. You never know when we're going to text you or what the text will actually say, but you know that the text is written by a peer with lived experience. So we have the peer support base. It's reviewed by a, a panel of mental health professionals to ensure that we're not just texting you a bunch of BS. Like it has to have a proven psychological basis. And we we deliver these texts at random times and they train the brain to think in healthier thought patterns over time. So your brain is like forming new neural pathways. It's like a brain training. It's basically, you know how you're going to train for a marathon or something. You have to do all these exercises and it's a really long exercise montage in a movie where like someone's boxing and then they're doing meal prep and then they're in the shower and it's like showing how hard it is for them. That takes a long time doing that training, building that resilience and that strength. Cope Notes does that for your brain. I like that i like that yeah because you got to think and i've written an article on it in terms of the the type of people that we follow on social media everything that we see and take in on a daily basis is going to affect perspective uh i call it uh you know from a from a biblical standpoint i call it your eyes are the windows to your uh to your soul it's going to affect what you uh how you interpret things and it's going to have an effect on your life uh, on a continuous basis what you allow into your life on a continuous basis so what you're doing is you're you're putting things into people's lives on a continuous basis that helps with that perspective yeah it's, it was actually i was trying to explain to someone the whole thinking behind cope notes because they were saying well what if i don't read the text or like what if the text comes in i think it's stupid that's what they said they said <laughs> what if what if you what if cope notes sends me a text message and i think it's dumb or not relevant and i said it literally doesn't matter because your brain interpreted it. Mm. So if you read something up, what a bunch of junk, the front of your brain volleys that to the back of your brain to chew on. It's already made an impact. Like if I sneeze and you see me sneeze and then I go to shake your hand, the impact's already been made. It doesn't matter what you think about it. You know, the impact was made when you when you took the stimulus in. Of course, I want people to actually like the text messages. I don't want people to think they're stupid or not relevant, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that you took it in. So what we're trying to do is like, you know, every time you, um, I mentioned this in my Ted talk, actually, like if you are watching a scary movie um, and then you get up to use the restroom and you're like scared to walk through your house in the dark and you like, don't want to look in the mirror and you, you don't want to look behind the shower curtain, you know, it's a movie mm. and it doesn't matter that, you know, it's a movie because there's some part of you that took in stimulus that's affecting the way you see the world. That's what Cope Notes is doing. We're saying, okay, if everything you read and see and hear is affecting the way that your brain processes information, how many 24-hour periods have you gone without direct positive stimulus? Mm. Probably a lot. We go multiple 24-hour periods consecutively, sometimes days or weeks, without an interruption with a catalyst for positive thought. And over time, your brain starts prioritizing negative thought because that's what you're feeding it. So with just one guaranteed interruption per day, you are breaking down your brain's pattern of automatic negative thought. I love it. That's amazing. Why do you think why do you think it's so hard for us to get that on a regular basis without something like Cope Notes? I think about this often with music. So for example, I am in a band called Prison now. Um, 
and prison's heavy it's not quite as heavy i mean it's not death metal so it's a little more listenable than our old stuff Hmm. but it's certainly not mainstream you know we're not i'm not this huge millionaire famous you know I mean, we do well, but I'm certainly not a superstar. And I think often about, you know, I'll see like Post Malone or something. I'm like, man, it'd be so cool to be, you know, on billboards and singing, you know, Super Bowl or whatever. He didn't sing in Super Bowl, but you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, but then I realize we have two different true norths. Like if your true north is success, a lot of times the the content of the message becomes less important. It's like, and I'm not calling out Post Malone. I don't know. I'm sure he's a great guy, but I'm saying if your true north is success or accomplishment or something, in order for that to be number one, the quality of the content or the message or the impact, those things have to move down a rung or two. Mm. So the problem is we are in a society where most people are focused on success rather than the quality of their impact. And something I think a lot about, like with my band or whatever, I'll see our monthly listeners on Spotify aren't as high as I want them to be or whatever. I'll think this, you know, if our monthly listeners are are like 25,000 monthly listeners, I think, would I rather make a positive impact on 25, 25,000 people this month? Or would I rather make an impact could be positive or negative. It's a gamble on a million people. It's like, oof, that could actually do a lot of damage. Like if you focus a little more on quality of impact rather than quantity. So I think the reason why we go so long without positive stimulus is because most people are focused on the quantity of impact. I want as many people as possible to listen to my song or read my book or watch my TV show. So they're thinking more about numbers than they are about like quality of life, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you talk about impacting people through your music. What is it that you uh, that you mostly write about? Uh, and perform on that that difference between the post malone guy again let me let me refrain from yeah, using his name because well, i know i know right because <laughs> i know claimer yeah if post malone is listening please know that we don't know you personally and you should come on the show and we'll have a conversation with you about what you yeah about. <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah i wouldn't mind having him on the show uh but l- let's just call it the mainstream like mainstream person mm-hmm. so mainstream person who has made sacrifices from the message that they probably started out with in order to gain uh, quantity instead of focusing on the quality of their work. So what is it that, that you're, that you're focused on that keeps you from making that shift to, to shoot for stardom? And well, you know, you know what, I have to be straight up honest with people who are listening right now. It's not like I'm so noble that I'm every day choosing. Like, it's not like there's a, a, a line of record executives lined up outside my door, banging it down. Like, let us give you a hundred million dollars. That's not my reality. (laughs) I'm sure that if that was the case, my decision would be a lot harder Mm -hmm. because I'd be looking at like, wow, you know, do I want to be rich and famous and successful or do I want to help people? And it's like, well, you know, right now it's easy for me to say, I want to help people because there's no one offering me something like that. But I'm sure that the temptation would be much more difficult for someone who was a mainstream artist. So I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like, uh, pop artists are just like soulless monsters. And I don't want to make it sound like metal musicians are angels. At the end of the day, my true north a lot of time is how, so I kind of have two measures. Number one, when I lay my head down at night, am I proud of what I did that day? Um, Like, would I be proud to tell if I had a son or if I had Mm. a daughter, would I be proud to tell my son or daughter, here's what daddy did today? And I think that's an important metric because you want, you always want your kids. Well, I don't have kids. So I'm kind of talking from like my friends who have kids. 
they always want to show their kids the best version of themselves. They want to set the best example. They want their kids to think highly of them. Like, wow, you know, my daddy went out and made a difference. And, and I see the way that my kids or my friends light up when their kids think highly of them. Mm. And the version of themselves, like, for example, my younger brother has made big changes in his life so that his son, Trayson, looks up to him and that he's setting a good example. So that's one of my true norths. One of my markers is like, you know, if I had a son or daughter right now, would I be proud of telling them what I did today? I had a near-death experience that I don't have to get too far into. Um, maybe a couple of years ago, I almost died. Obviously, near-death experience, almost died. The only thing that mattered to me in that moment when I thought I was going to die was, what did I spend the last year of my life doing? And that was like the only question that mattered. I didn't think like, oh, you know, I've never been to Europe <laughs> or like I never got married or anything. I just thought, what did I do with my last year? So nothing before mattered. All my mistakes in high school and all stupid things I did and jobs that I got and then realized I didn't like or got fired because I was showing up late or my poor grades or whatever. All I thought about was how did I spend my last year on earth? So if you have people banging down your door with $100 million contracts, I don't know if I can provide you a lot of support or guidance. But if you're one of the people who is not living that type of reality, then I'd say if you stick with, would I be proud to tell my child what I did today? And if I was going to die today, would I be happy and content with what I did with the last year of my life? If those two things check out on a daily basis, the success stuff, I mean, you and I both know it doesn't last forever. It's like, it's very earthly. You know, once you're gone, you can't take all that stuff with you. Absolutely. No, I love that. So you've made uh, you've made a couple of references. Uh, one of them, you know, kind of talking about uh, your spirit and how you feel that it's been, um, you know, rebirthed, uh, and then also here, you know, mentioning uh, the earthly sense. So, is there does uh, does your religion play a large role in in what you do? Yes. And this is shocking for me because anyone who knew, you know, Google Johnny Crowder dark sermon, you'll see I had pentagrams and animal bones and candles and we're burning sage on stage and sing. I mean it was I was just a mean monster dude I just like was so angry at the world I, I either thought that God didn't exist or that he was evil like he was trying to torture me because mm. of how much pain I was experiencing literally taking all of the you know when you walk into a mall the food court and you take like a free sample from all these different places <laughs> yeah that's what i was doing with like philosophy and religion and mm. i was just nothing made me happy nothing fully resonated with me and maybe like a little bit of taoism made sense to me a little bit of buddhism made sense to me and then i would everything gave me a little something um and then i, I was like well no matter what i'm not gonna be a christian that's what I'm for sure never going to allow myself to be. And then, of course, I am. I got baptized a number of years ago, and I have a cross tattooed on my face. And I'm a big Jesus guy now, and it's just shocking to me. Like, But honestly, anyone who's curious, anyone who's like not big on faith, let me just tell you that if you ever needed proof that there's something there, look at old me and look at new me and tell me that something else did that. <laughs> No, absolutely. Something else made that change. No, absolutely, man. And I, I got to be completely upfront with you. When I had you on, I loved your mission first and foremost. And I started looking into some of your background. And of course, some of those old songs and stuff is going to come up. And uh, I'm very upfront about my faith on this show. So I mm -hmm. knew that this was probably going to happen in here. And to hear that, uh, to hear that, no, you, you've been saved. You, you, you know, you've been baptized and you're a huge Jesus lover. 
Um, and I could, man, I could, I swear I could almost sense it whenever you got on the call and I could hear it in your voice. I was like, you know what? I was like, something tells me there's not, there's not, there's nothing, there's nothing what I may have picked up a hint of in any of the old stuff that you had going on in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, man, there's, I don't, I'm not seeing a trace of anything that I had to be, you know, concerned about. It's, uh, you, Dude, like you said, you've been re rebirthed. That's why I feel like a kid for real. And, yeah. and it's tough to explain to people. I have a lot of, a lot of satanic friends still, cause mm -hmm. I'm in like the, the death metal and hardcore community. And, um, I have a lot of friends who are atheists and a lot of friends who really don't share values with me. Like I'm sober, so no drugs and alcohol. And I have a lot of friends who use drugs and alcohol and it can be tough to help people understand that like that Jesus is such a transformative power in someone's life. Like from the outside looking in, you're like, well, don't wave the Bible at me. I'm like, it's not even the Bible, dude. It's like, please, please understand that if I, if it did this to me and you knew me before, like I'm talking to my old friends, I'm like, you knew me. I didn't do this. I, I would have paid money to follow any other religion before Christianity. Cause mm. I had such a chip on my shoulder. I, I grew up in a Catholic church and I saw, I saw tremendous discrimination. I saw, I saw mistreatment of um, the LGBT community. I saw mistreatment of um, different races and interracial couples. I saw mistreatment of women. Um, it was like just the, it was such an unhealthy environment. And I thought, screw, you know, if that's what Jesus stands for, screw Jesus. And then mm. I never looked into it for myself. I just saw the way other people portrayed Jesus. And I said, that must be the way that Jesus is. And I don't want any of it. I never looked at it for myself, like on my own. And that's mm. what it took. Wow. Just to, just to read it. Yeah. <laughs> that's beautiful, man. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's uh, it's fantastic. And it speaks wonders about what you do. So answer me this, were you saved before you started uh, Not Your Therapist or, or Cope Notes before any of that? And I will say that that's a big change too, because my, try not to get too, too preachy here, but I will say that before I met Jesus, I thought that I loved everybody, that mm. I was this, you know, upstanding citizen, that I was so good and I was so kind to other people. And then I realized you know, through faith, I realized I had just been tolerating other people. I didn't love them. I just kind of put up with everybody else. Like they, other people annoyed me and they were frustrating. And I just kind of let everybody do whatever they wanted to do. And that made me a nice person. But mm. then when, when I experienced the, the tremendous kindness of Jesus, like when you realize like, wait, somebody died for me, like I received a tremendous gift. Then you go, I haven't been loving anybody. I've just been <laughs> tolerating them. So it shifted my perspective from, you know, my music career is about me. I want to be the biggest music. I want to be the, the biggest band. I want to be the most famous vocalist. I want to sell the most records um, to wait a second. How can I use this platform to impact other people? So I'm telling you, my, my focus shifted from me, 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 me to everybody 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 because i felt like i already got mine that's the secret though isn't it yeah and, and exactly what you're doing it it's such man it's uh it's it's such a godly and a righteous thing because what you're talking about is you're talking about putting light into people's worlds where they may only have darkness and you talk about your uh you know your your friend group and your the the community that you surround yourself with you know being in the in the metal world you know not everyone's like that but there's uh, obviously big groups that are 
that are like that. And you're, you're able to walk in that world and be the light that you need to be and still remain in that world. Because I think we can both agree people on my side of the fence that don't listen, don't listen to metal, you know, first looking at everything, uh, you know, they, they're going to think, Hey, okay, something's, something's off about that. You know, no, we need people to be able to walk in that world and say, Hey, you know, not one, not everybody, not everybody's like that. And two, there's someone in here doing this that is, uh, that's got righteous intentions. You know, I've, I've got, I've got really good intentions and in impacting people from the inside. Dude, it's, it's funny too, to think about. So when I first like really met Jesus, like I really got it when it mm. first started clicking for me, I'm like, wait a second, this changes ever. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> I'm going to have to undo so much stuff. I'm gonna have to redo so much stuff. And so when I, there was this turn, I'm hesitant to use the phrase turning point because um, I'm not really a fan of that kind of verbiage where it sounds like there's one moment where everything shifts. But I'll say that sort of a mile marker for me was I was driving home from a show. This was at the end of a tour. You know, typically you tour for a couple months. So you're like out on the road, you're sleeping in a van every night, all your clothes are in a trash bag. Like it's really not pretty. Mm. And I got home from this tour and you get home in the middle of the night, right? Like you drive all night and you get home. And I went into my the bathroom at my dad's house, which is where my band dropped me off. And I shaved my head and I had real long uh, dyed hair, like halfway down my back. It was super metal and I shaved my whole head. And I was like, this is freaking day one of whatever new thing is going to happen. I was like, I'm going to quit metal. And then God's like, no, don't do that. Like <laughs> I need you in there, dude, don't, yeah. don't abandon your post. So it took me a while because I started judging myself. I was like, well, what does it say about me? If I'm around all these people are using drugs and alcohol and worshiping, literally worshiping Satan, like, mm burning Bibles on stage and flaming pentagrams. And I mean, like literal, you know, seances and stuff. I'm like, this isn't people who are casually atheists. These are people who are like act actively worshiping the devil. Right. And God's like, yeah, go in there, make it happen. You know, like wow. sit, sit next to those people at, you know, when you're folding your merch and when you're loading in every day, help load in their equipment. And like, I just didn't realize what kindness can do to someone whose heart is so hardened to other people. It's been incredible to watch people who are like, I've toured with bands that literally have lyrics that are like Christians to the lions and like burn the Christians and, you know, wow. like songs about killing Jesus and killing Christian people. And then I'm helping load in their gear and set up their lights and I'll, I'll watch their merch for them while they're on stage. And they see the cross on my face and they, you know, I'm very open about my faith and they're just like, well, I don't know why you're being nice to us. And I'm like, well, I don't know why Jesus was nice to me either. <laughs> I was, you know, I'm not, I think people just draw too many lines. Like they'll look at, they'll look at someone that I would tour with and they'll look at me and they'd go like, well, there's a big difference. I'm like, there's no difference between anybody on this earth. And once you realize that every other person becomes the most important person. Yeah, no, man, this is a, this is a, this is a divine appointment right here. And for sure. Uh, I needed to hear some of that. You know, I know somebody who's listening today needed to hear some of that because I'm from a small town and you don't see people, you know, burning Bibles in the street. Like as much as we hear about it, we know that that's stuff that, you know, you gotta, gotta look out for. And, you know, that's the, that's the, the type of, uh, the type of warfare that, that we're, that we're up against, you know, but to be reminded that the single most, one of the single most important weapons to use to help fight <laughs> that, 
that type of uh, darkness is straight up kindness. And a lot of people will stray away from that. A lot of people will just, you know, turn their heads and think, okay, I need to, I need to avoid that because, you know, I don't want to be affected or I don't want to be seen with them. And you did the exact opposite. And um, it's not easy. People will say it all the time. Uh, you know, love people who are not, who are not believing right. But you, dude, you're out there loving people who are not just not necessarily believing right. Like, oh, I don't really know what I believe type people, uh, which is probably what majority of people encounter, you know, atheists or they're, they're not sure what they believe. Um, the straight up, if you're a Christian, then, you know, these people who worship Satan, that's, that's the polar opposite. This is everything you've been taught to stay away from uh, for so long but you've put yourself in it and you're, and you're loving those people uh, into showing them what Jesus is all about. Beautiful. Dude, beautiful. it's cause think about this. Think about if Jesus came down here and goes, yuck, mm-hmm. look at all these people. These people are so terrible. So mean and conniving. I don't want any of this mm. later. And he left, you know, what would that mean for people like you and me? So I remember specifically, we toured with this one band that I won't name one of the types of bands that I'm talking about. And I went and sat with the vocalist of this other band. Who's very open about, you know, upside down cross tattoos and, you know, very outspokenly anti-faith. And I remember the tour package just kind of looking over, like, as I went to sit down with him and I just sat down with him and just started talking. It was this like, totally wholesome conversation we're talking about his family and uh he doesn't live in america so he's talking about how how stuff was over there and then he brought up his car and i'm a car guy so he's like showing me his he has a bmw that he's like tricked out and stuff and so it was like such a wholesome nice conversation and then they get on stage and, and like they're all their merch has like pentagrams and guns and knives and stuff and they're still being their brutal selves but when I look at him performing, I'm like, I see the human in there because we just had dinner together. So I yeah. see the human in there who's just a real person. And we forget, we, we like conflate a person with their values. Like we say, well, well, Blake is what he believes. And it's like, that's not true. Blake could believe something else tomorrow and he'd still be Blake. Mm. So we, it's such a shame that we've conflated a, a human being with what they're going through or what they believe or how they feel or what they think. Cause all that stuff changes. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. So I could come to the agreement that one of your, one of your concepts or beliefs in life doesn't make up you as a whole. I could, I could agree with that. I think that it does depict a piece of you uh, and, and that piece that you allow people to see in some form or fashion, we are responsible for the perspective that we allow others to see, but at the same time, they're not always getting the whole picture if they don't allow themselves to uh, come in and see the whole picture. You know what I mean? Like the way I see it is we have windows into our lives that we allow people to look at. Mm -hmm. And if the one window that we decide to open the shutters on happens to be my pentagram, uh, you know, Satan worshiping stage, then I'm responsible for that window. But if I don't open this other window over here and allow somebody to see that, then Mm -hmm. So I'm responsible for the way that I'm perceived. But again, at the same time, you got to understand, I'm only looking through from the out from the other's perspective. I'm only seeing one window of this guy's entire house. Yeah. So I, yeah. It's kind of a double-sided thing. The way it's that it's it. honestly, it's fear. Like when I, when I was younger, I started working out like crazy because my parents were abusive. Mm. So I thought if I get real big and muscly, then maybe I'll intimidate them. 
Mm. So it was, it was fear that made me do that. And when I see people acting out and being violent and behaving in a way that I don't think is conducive to human flourishing, I think almost, you know, 99% of the time it's fear and kindness just totally kicks fear's butt. No, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. You're coming up, you're coming back around to, it's not against our, our battles, not against uh, flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. Yeah. You just think of, I don't know if you were to meet me 10 years ago and you meet me now, it's hard to believe that we're the same person, but we are. Right. And it's a shame that it can be so difficult to give other people the benefit of the doubt to see who they can be in 10 years if we're just intentional with them. Yeah. And that's like, not to not to make a big stretch, but to bring this back to cope notes, the whole thinking is the way that you interpret information now, the way that your brain operates, the way that you think and behave and feel is not static. It is dynamic and you have control over this process. It takes a long time. The thinking is with cope notes over the course of months and years, you can become that 10 year from now version of yourself mm. through that consistency. So we, we don't look at people and say, geez, you're broken. You need fixing ASAP. We think, wow. I can see who you're going to be in 10 years. And what if we could make, what if we could shorten that timeline? You know? Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. You're able to see somebody without the, uh, um, without the fear, you know, without the, uh, without the addiction or without the suicidal thoughts, you can remove that and see who they could be. Absolutely. I think that's another very key point in what you do. So I know we still have, we still have a few minutes left in the, in the podcast, but I want to get around to uh, one question that I've started asking a lot of my guests, which is, what is something you do on a regular basis? This could be daily, weekly, monthly, that you feel helps you continue to grow in the healthiest of ways. This is going to sound a little unconventional, sure, but I swear by it. Um, anyone who has OCD is going to understand where I'm coming from here. So fortunately, my, um, my diagnoses are, my, my symptoms are lesser through treatment. So I thank the Lord for that. I am also working actively on this stuff every day. And one thing that I do to keep my OCD in check, and it seems little, but it totally starts the day off on the right foot. <clears throat> so before I had to be matched on, so I was big on numbers and things being even. So mm. if I touched this part of my desk, I'd have to touch it eight times with this finger on this hand on this side of the desk. And then I'd have to do the same on the other side. And then I'd have to do it eight times per finger, you know, so it was very like, it had to be the exact same amount. So what I do now is I purposely try to upset my OCD in kind of a display of dominance over my OCD to like challenge it. So what I'll do is when I put on deodorant in the morning, and this is early. So this is like, you know, my brain is still a little foggy, maybe. Um, nice and early, I go to put on deodorant and I'll purposely put a different amount of deodorant under each arm. So I'll do, mm. I'll do swipes like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight on my left side. I'm like, crap, I did the perfect amount. Uh, okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then I'll close my armpits real fast and I'll, I'll put the cap back on the deodorant. Then I put my shirt on and I leave my dresser and I just, it's a way for me to start my day off going, listen, diagnosis you don't get to call shots ever. Mm. Not, not with the little stuff like this, not with the big stuff, not in the morning when I'm tired and weak and brain foggy and not later when I'm like, if this is my dominance over you now, heaven knows how much I'm going to kick your butt later in the day. So yeah. it's a bunch of little things like that, where instead of making this huge display of something, I take a lot of little micro moments like that to constantly 
show myself that I'm an active participant in my recovery. No, I like that. That is, it's very unconventional. I've never heard anything <laughs> like that before on the show, but that's, no, that's amazing. If all answers were the same, then I would quit asking the question, you know? So no, that's great because I think that can be seen as a couple of different things. One, upset your, upset your routine, you know? So if maybe, maybe if you're not dealing with OCD, you're not dealing with like a daily, uh, you know, a struggle, something like that, then maybe it's just upsetting your routine. So that you can realize that your schedule is not what has has control over you. You know, the the things that have to get done in a day is not what controls you, mm -hmm. um, but you have control over the day. Remind yourself that, uh, you know, with one decision, you can disrupt the whole day or you can and then you can make another decision to set it all back in order again uh, or at least attempt to set it all back in order again that piece of it and then of course just like you know your your true uh, your true deal with the OCD is just reminding yourself that um, you have the decision to uh, break it one piece one choice at a time it's amazing it's it's the little stuff i oh, do you know tim keller pastor tim keller I don't. He said this one thing that stuck with me so much. I wish I'd heard it before I started Cope Notes so I could have stole it. But I heard it maybe last year or so. And he said, everyone's so focused on the on the big monumental, you know, the the crises, like the big pivots in somebody's life, like the big mm. life-changing moment. But he said, if your life is really, even if if you're like if you're the most interesting person in the world and your life is the most exciting life that's ever been lived you maybe only have a big shift like that like half a dozen times in your whole life yeah like really there's not that many huge monumental shifts that someone experiences the micro moments there's trillions upon trillions of them and he said everyone thinks that the the big moments those big pivotal shifts make you who you are. And he said, that's nonsense. All of the little moments make you who you are. All of your repetitive decisions, the tiny things, the way you choose to treat strangers or put on your pants or whatever, all of those little inconsequential things, those trillions of moments make you who you are. And the big pivotal moments reveal who those little moments have made you. So the approach with Cope Notes is just keep it small. Just do something little every day. Same with my deodorant thing. If I can just do the little things every day, then when the big earth shattering crisis does come, I will have been training for that moment for years by doing the little things right. Yes. Yes, absolutely. There's a, there's actually a verse that comes to mind. I think it's uh first Corinthians nine. I forget the verse, but it talks about, um, don't you understand that in a race, everybody runs, but not everybody wins. So run to win. And says, I, you know, it goes on to say that I, I prepare my body like that of an athlete so that when the time comes, it'll do what it should. Otherwise, and it's, it's Paul talking. So he says, otherwise, whenever I go out to preach, I may find myself disqualified. So if I go to preach to others about, you know, being consistent and, and yeah. staying steady in what you do, then I'd find myself disqualified if I didn't do it for myself every single day. No, I wow. love that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. Imagine the guy who, who speaks at the mental health conference and the guy who leads the mental health training and the guy who runs the mental health platform who doesn't defeat his OCD yeah. every day or who, do, or who doesn't make an attempt. Yeah. And for a long time, that was me. I wanted to do advocacy, but not do my homework. And it's like, no, 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 you got to clean up. You got to work on this too. You can't just tell other people to do it. You know, you got to walk the walk. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. Man, it's been a, it's been a fantastic conversation. You know, uh, we're coming down to the end of it here, but 
so tell us a little bit about what, what does the future hold? You know, whether that's with, with Cope Notes or just with your music or whatever, you know, what does it look like for you? I don't know. And that's kind of a cool feeling. For a long time, I was so married to what things had to look like. And when I started loosening the reins and just kind of doing my job, like manning my post, way cooler stuff started happening than what I wanted to happen. So I'll say that I'm hoping to uh, tour again real soon, as soon as COVID allows. We have lots of music that we want to release. We have tons of music we want to release. And with Cope Notes, we're trying to do more work with like school districts and governments and community organizations, nonprofits, churches. So we're trying to do more like community-wide stuff. Mm. So let's just say the rest of the year is going to be really cool. I don't know what it's going to look like yet, but I know that a lot of people are going to be healthier for it. Well, I mean, you got one right here. I'm healthier just for having had this conversation <laughs> with you, having uh, opened up some perspectives uh, in my own life. It's amazing how... Um, you can go from where you're at, you know, and I'm, and I'm talking about you specifically, not knowing anything about you, but, you know, kind of your background, where you've gone, where you stand, the people you expect to impact. Um, and then you can come on to a podcast for a guy from, you know, little country, uh, country Texas with uh, maybe one or two friends that listens to metal or, or anything related to that uh, and have an effect on somebody just, just, through, uh, just through a call, something like this. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah, Dude, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Thanks for coming on. I love when I get an opportunity to talk with somebody about the love and grace that Jesus and my God has for everyone on this planet. To know that you don't have to be a certain type of person to receive that love and to receive that grace. And I'm honored and so thankful that we were able to open up a conversation about that today with Johnny. That is probably my biggest, uh, just biggest focal point for today's episode. It may not be yours, and that's okay. Uh, the One of the greatest things that I caught in that conversation in, in terms of, of, of how he came to know Jesus and build that relationship is the fact that he used to rely heavily on the interpretation and the understanding of others. And through that, he was getting a lot of the bad side of Christianity because there's no, no need to lie. There are uh, bad Christians out there. There's no such thing as a perfect Christian. Church was not designed to be an example of what the perfect person looks like. It's designed to be a hospital for the broken. That's a direct quote from my uh, pastor at the church that I attend. And I could not agree with that more, especially after listening to today's uh, podcast and, and, and kind of opening my eyes to that concept. So, you know, there's plenty of other things that we could go and dive into on this. And we will do that on our process perspective. But this is just kind of a big pinnacle point for me. It definitely uh, settles in very well. And I don't know, there's just some some deep revelation to be taken from today's episode. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who has stuck on to this episode. I know there's a lot of people who are going to hear this episode and uh, probably even just hear the teaser. If you saw the teaser today, I think most people are probably either A, not going to, to pull it up if they're just completely turned off uh, by Christianity and by Jesus, but uh, some people may listen to it and enjoy the first half, and then as soon as there's a mention of it, they get turned off and they hop off, but Whoever is on this episode at this point, uh, you guys have stuck on. 
whether you have a difference of belief or a difference of opinion about anything that we talked about on the show today, you have stuck through this and continued to listen. I want to thank you for doing that. Thank you for being a dedicated listener and thank you for keeping yourself open to perspectives, thoughts, ideas, beliefs, and allowing yourself to dig deeper into those. If anybody has any questions about what we talked about on the show today, please feel free to reach out to me at any of my socials, Instagram, Facebook. Like I said, I might hop back on Twitter. Um, So feel free to do that. I want to thank everybody who has continued to be a listener over the course of, I don't even know how many months it's been, since November, I believe, was when we released one of our first episodes. Thank you guys so, so much. Thank you for all of your ratings and reviews. If you would like all of the details, insiders, tools, resources, gifts, promos, opportunities to win things, etc., email directly to your inbox emails. Uh, The moment that a podcast episode airs, that way you can open up that email and get the link directly to listen to the podcast on uh, Apple or Spotify. Uh, We're also available pretty much everywhere else. We actually just became available on Pandora. That is a big thing that I almost forgot to mention. We are now available on Pandora Podcasts Editions. And so, you know, kind of growing into that awesome things. If you were, if you want to get hooked up with those insider access emails, head over to peacewiththeprocess.com and scroll down to the bottom, fill out the insider's access email subscription form, and you can get set up with those emails sent to you uh, at, I want to say 6 a.m. Central Standard Time every Tuesday morning. So thank you guys so much. And I want to just take a second to really pinpoint the concept of relationship. A lot of what we talk about today is relationship. And specifically, we talk about uh, Johnny's relationship with God and how he came to know him and a lot of what that entails. And that is actually one of the very first value areas of what I call the four key value areas, relationships, self, health, and wealth. And each of those have kind of a deeper breakdown into those. Your relationships breaks down into your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, your relationship with your friends and community, relationship with your, uh, I believe, leaders and mentors, and then relationships with your professional uh, people, coworkers, bosses, things like that, subordinates. And then it goes on to self, and then a couple of breakdowns for self, a couple of breakdowns for health, and a couple of breakdowns for wealth. These are our value areas, and to get clear on what we value in life, what that does is it provides clarity, because what are you doing every moment of every day? You're making decisions, and when you make those decisions, you base that on what you value. Well, you know what happens a lot of times when we make a decision? We don't always remember what it is we value in the big picture scheme of things. Sometimes we only think about the things that we value in the moment. For example, you may value the comfort that you will get from continuing to sleep instead of waking up when your alarm goes off. Or you may value keeping your job uh, over the comfort of getting more sleep. So you wake up when your alarm goes off. See, there's this balance, and there's decisions like that that happen all throughout your day. Some of them you make instinctively and you do a good job at, but some of them are big decisions, and we don't 
do a great job of making those decisions when we allow ourselves to get out of alignment with what we value in the big picture, what we truly value, not what our not what our, our, our flesh and our comfort and our brain wants to tell us to value in that moment because our brain is hardwired to direct us toward comfort. Anytime we experience discomfort or can anticipate a path of discomfort, our brain is designed to keep us safe. So it throws up a spidey sense. If you can just imagine the old comic book, it throws up a spidey sense thing that goes up around your head and says, no, we don't really want to do that. And then it's based on you to dig a little bit deeper and consider all the alternatives and all the different pathways. Your brain goes through all of these things. Well, it would be so much easier if you just would write down what you value. And when you come to a crossroad like that and your brain throws up a spidey sense and you want to make sure you're making a logical decision and not just a decision based out of comfort, you can go back to these values and you can start making decisions based on what you truly value deep down and you know to be true. Not based on what your brain's telling you to do to avoid discomfort because sometimes we have to go through discomfort. Now the grand picture, the grand scheme of what this does for you, again, it provides clarity for your life. And it helps you go and find direction for your life. So you take all these values and you start to realize, man, this tells me things that I want to accomplish in life as well. Things that I may not have. It's bringing to light a characteristic of myself or a practical um you know, daily practice that I'm not doing that I believe I should be doing or something tangible that I should have in order to meet some of these other values for my relationships, myself, my health, or my wealth. And it helps you create direction by creating goals or habits that lead you down that direction. And then what do you do? You use that to make decisions that all lead you down a path to a most fulfilled lifestyle. Now, did we ever really reach that destination if we're continuing to grow? No. But we do continue to get better every single day. I always go back to say, if you grow 1% a day, you will have grown 365% by the end of the year. That is substantial growth. Imagine where you would be with a 365% increase in your life. A year from today it may be better than what you envision to be your most fulfilled lifestyle i can almost guarantee that it will be so if you are interested in getting started with that head over to peacewiththeprocess.com and click on create your peace there i list out the steps stages that you and i can go through together to start creating your peace and that is peace with the process and we all know that the process is something that can be tailor fitted to what you truly value that's what makes this different is that it's not a cookie cutter uh, recipe it's not a it's it's not something that you can just hole punch and send out on its way and it's not just a a planner that you can start writing in that's going to change your life. We are going to base it on what you value, not what your neighbor values, you know, not what your sister, brother's mother, stepdad, father, whatever values. It's what you value in life. So you know that this process that you are going to create is going to lead you to 
a most fulfilled lifestyle. And we use those values to help do that. So if you're interested in doing that, click on that, create your process on the peacewiththeprocess.com website and scroll down to the bottom and contact me. I believe you can actually do it at the top of that page too. But either way, contact me, reach out to me, and let's just get started on talking about what a most fulfilled lifestyle looks like for you. And then we can get started a little bit, maybe talking about some of your values in life. Uh, or perhaps you can get a head start. Go ahead and head over uh, to our YouTube channel, peacewiththeprocess.com, and look through some of those videos there. We have some videos on uh the value areas and you can actually get started writing those down for yourself and you can bring them to our first conversation and let me know what that looks like for you all right guys i want to thank you again for listening into another episode of peace with the process i'll see you guys next time